0: Hey, good morning, everybody. Scott Luton with you here on Supply Chain Now. Welcome to today's episode. You're in for a treat. On today's show, we're going to be touching on a variety of topics facing global supply chain, from the immense value of diversity to just how the pandemic has changed the current and future state, future state rather, of supply chain. So stay tuned for what promises to be an intriguing and informative conversation. So with that, I want to introduce our special guests here today, our steam panel. We have Darcy McLaren, Senior Vice President, Digital Supply Chain, North America for SAP. Darcy, how are you doing?
1: I'm doing great, Scott. Thanks for having me on today.
0: You bet. We've really enjoyed our pre-show conversations. And joining you is Jenny Patslov, Supply Chain Management Practice Director for the University of Wisconsin eBusiness Consortium. Jenny, how you doing?
2: I'm great, Scott. How are you?
0: Doing wonderful. Go Badgers, right?
2: Go Badgers. <laughs> I'm Wisconsin. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, great to have you back. We've got so much to get uh, to tackle here today. Really have enjoyed uh, all the conversations leading up to today's episode. So I want to start with this. And Darcy, I want to start with you. And you know, we like getting a sense of the journey and your personal story. You know, how, how uh, your background, especially on how you were able to become a supply chain leader. Our listeners love that. So Darcy, tell us about yourself a little bit.
1: Well, it's interesting, especially when I talk with early uh, talent they always think that you had this whole big blueprint laid out and this vision that you went off and, you know, you kind of go through life and it's, and it's a journey. So how did I end up here? Well, right now, in my role as Senior Vice President of North America Digital Supply Chain, I, I just have the privilege of working with hundreds of companies on their supply chain transformation. And how I got here was actually interesting because when, when I came out of I – I have a liberal arts background and I majored in, in economics – with a minor in art history, which really, you know, that was all about traveling the globe to see, you know, masterpieces.
0: Darcy, hey, really quick, if I can. <laughs> really? I love that. Um, you know, I think we all believe the global supply chain needs more folks, not just from the, the engineering majors, we need folks from all walks of life to bring exactly. that perspective, right?
1: Exactly. Exactly. And that's what it did. But I thought I was going to work for my congressman and I was going to I was going to take Washington by storm, but I didn't. In fact, (laughs) I ended up working for Hewlett-Packard, which is a fantastic company, and they paid for my MBA. And it was when I was getting my MBA and studying about operations research, I just fell in love with constraint-based planning, with linear programming, and and the beauty of mathematics to solve problems within an organization. And from Hewlett-Packard, I left that fantastic organization after several years it was a great early place to start working for a global company like that i got into software and i started out in erp and the migration and the transformation of supply chain was really i was recruited by a very innovative planning and scheduling company and it was at that point that i realized i'd rather plan the battle than count the dead up after, which is what I view ERP doing. So that was my first foray into it. And when you work for a small, innovative software company, you really have to get your hands dirty across all aspects of the organization. So you really have to understand, you know, if, if it's a linear program that you're selling to supply chain optimization or planning and scheduling, it gives you great insight into really understanding it. And it was from that small, boutique company that actually ended up today. That, that, that application you know, sits in the Oracle company that I went through and I started working for very innovative supply chain companies across all areas of supply chain that really ERP companies were not at the time addressing. So my career spans with planning and scheduling, trans, transportation, PLM, all the way across every aspect. And, and I was recruited to SAP about 10 years ago after building and scaling small companies to come to SAP. And what SAP does is through their design to operate, really encapsulates everything from designing your product manufacturing through logistics through everything. So it was really starting out early on with a technology company, going into software, really finding an area that I really had a passion for, and then landing at a company such as SAP, where I've been working for smaller supply chain companies. And sometimes I I look in the room and see I was the most senior person there. I came to SAP really for senior leadership, for a larger global organization that I could continue to learn from. So long answer to a question, but that's how I ended up in supply chain. (laughs)
0: I love it. And, you know, if you try to plan everything out, it's not going to work as beautifully as what you just laid out there. Uh, and by the way, you mentioned the beauty of the math behind uh, solving some of our, our global challenges. I'll have to be trained by both of you. I'm not known for my mathematician <laughs> skills. But, hey, I digress. I appreciate you sharing, Darcy, giving, uh, giving us all a chance to get to know you a little better. Jenny, same question for you. Can you talk about your journey and what led to the upper echelons of leadership across the blockchain?
2: Sure. Uh, So similar to Darcy, didn't start out in supply chain. Um, So I did grow up in Wisconsin in the Milwaukee area, went to the University of Wisconsin for my undergrad, and I graduated from the School of Business with a degree in marketing. Um, So from there, I went to Target Corporation. And when I went to Target, I thought I'd be doing merchandising and buying. I thought, wouldn't it be cool to be the buyer of movies, you know, and watch all these DVDs, by the way, who has DVDs anymore? (laughs) So maybe glad that didn't work out. (laughs) Um, But it was a place where I knew I could grow and find a lot of different opportunities, which I really did. So I spent 17 years at Target. Quick story early on that probably got me into supply chain. I worked in the college and pro apparel area. And just to date myself, it was when the New England Patriots won their first Super Bowl. So I got to see demand planning. You know, what is the Boston market going to do now that the Patriots have finally won a Super Bowl? <laughs> I got to see supply because you take what you do is when the Super Bowl is played, there's literally these um, smaller T-shirt manufacturers or screen printers on site in these different locations. And based on who wins, that's who starts up their, their manufacturing operations. So seeing that piece of it. And then courier using Courier to get the product to the store because you have to be first to market. People wanna wake up the next morning, go out and buy their Super Bowl shirt. Um, so really got to see the very fast pieces of logistics. So um, through that, I developed into a lot of different bridge roles in the company. So really I would market my team to other parts of the organization to other parts of, um, to suppliers outside the organization, Did some training opportunity, got to know the global trade area, got to work with technology teams, data teams, and really played a lot of bridge roles. And I think it was those bridging between areas that really got me into and really appreciating supply chain. From there, I moved back to Wisconsin. I worked for Rate Links for three years. Um, I know you know some folks there as well, Scott. Got to know some other supply chains. So I learned a lot about retail supply chain, but really didn't know the manufacturing supply chain and all of these different companies and where they were based and how their operations worked and got to learn a lot more about that from a logistics technology perspective. And then just earlier this year, I got the opportunity to learn about even more supply chains working back at my alma mater at the University of Wisconsin. And unlike a lot of my partners here that work with the students, I'm really working with supply chain professionals in peer learning communities. So we really advance what we call the Wisconsin idea, and that's that education should influence people's lives beyond the boundary of the classroom. So it's really great to take those experiences I've had learning up, meeting and learning these nearly 90 member companies that we work with, and really encouraging these peer learning sessions where I still get to keep a pulse on supply chain while doing that continuous learning that I love.
0: Gosh, so much there, but how both of y'all have opened this interview. Two quick thoughts, Jenny. First off, blessed are the bridge builders, right? Whether it's supply chain or elsewhere. And then, secondly, you're basically saying in so many words that supply chain makes the Super Bowl happen. Is that right, Jenny?
2: That's what I took out of it, right? <laughs> okay.
0: All right. <laughs> awesome. Well, now that we've gotten a chance to get to know both of y'all a lot better, we appreciate that. Uh, we'll have to have you back because there's so many stories from both of your journeys that uh, we're not going to be able to get to here today. But I want to switch gears and we'll talk more about real diversity in industry, right? So Darcy, I want to start with you here. As we all have acknowledged right here in all kinds of conversations, it's a wonderful time to be in supply chain, right, to be in global supply chain. And there are more and more, thankfully, opportunities for all, including uh, women. And we've spoken about that a little bit more. We still have lots more work to do, of course. But Darcy, speak to that. Why is it a great time being supply chain? And what are you seeing in terms of opportunities for all?
1: Yeah, it's such a great time because, first of all, visibility is, now even my grandmother knows what supply chain is. So not just <laughs> because the company are talking about it, heads of state are because, you know, as the Biden administrative executive order, you know, countries are worried about it. In fact, I participated in the G7 in trying to make the Canadian Council of Canada was making recommendations to the G7 involved with two by supply chain. So it's important because it's important to us as consumers as companies and as countries. So I almost feel personally that I have a mission here to make the world a better place and make sure that everybody gets what they want for their holiday. I personally (laughs) wanna help be a part of that solution. But it's also a great time because there are so many jobs and really cool jobs for people to do. There are technology jobs, there are data scientist jobs, there's jobs for everybody of every type of what you like to do, of your educational background. There's all these great jobs that we just you know, have to decide what we want to do. And the other thing that I absolutely see happening is where are they grooming our future CEOs from? Well, if you ask Annette Clayton, if you ask Beth Ford, who are CEOs of two great companies, Land Lake and Schneider Electric, they'll say they're recruiting them from supply chain. And why is that? Well, it's because the visibility that one has when you're in a supply chain role is cross-department cross-company, cross-globe. So you get great insight into running the company. So it's a great time to join supply chain because of the opportunities, because of the importance of it, and what it can mean to your your career. And specifically for women, whether they have the background or not, it's a great place to land in a company because of the growth potential to get to senior levels.
0: I love that. Darcy, you got me ready to run through the wall back behind me. That's that's a wonderful answer in terms of why it's it's a great time to be in supply chain. So Jenny, uh, that's a high bar, but if anyone can take a pole vault and and leap over it, (laughs) what would you add to Darcy's answer there?
2: Yeah, there's not much to add. It really is that exact time to be in and around supply chain. So much going on, so much visibility, so many opportunities, like you were saying, Darcy, right? There's I don't know of any company that's not looking for supply chain talent right now. And when I think about some of the peer learning forums we've had, Um, That's what our members are talking about is supply chain talent. How do I recruit talent? How do I retain my talent? So those are very important. Specifically thinking about being a woman in supply chain or really just offering diverse perspectives. This is a perfect time to jump in with the diverse perspective because we need new ideas in supply chain. Um, So what's gotten us here in terms of cost cutting and just in time, that paradigm shift is changing. And so it won't be what we've done in the past. It will be how are we adjusting and changing going forward. So the more diverse ideas you have in your business that are coming to the table and bringing their perspectives, the better off you are to really prepare yourself um, for the the years to come.
0: Well said. And as great as it is for supply chain during these times, if you're an assumption, it is a rocky road because we're challenging all assumptions right now, as we should be. And you kind of speak to that a little bit there, Jenny, in your answer. I want to shift gears a bit. Uh, because as, as we all acknowledged, uh, you know we, we've got a long way to go right There's no finish line in this in this uh, work to not only continue to, to not just fine-tune but transform global supply chain while also providing more and more opportunities for from, uh, for folks across all walks of life. So question back for you, Darcy. Why do you think we don't have more women today in supply chain leadership roles and careers in general?
1: Yeah, it's it's a really tough question and I get asked that question every day. Because first of all, from the SAP perspective, we actually hire more than fifty percent women. We hire in now because we're we're aware of it, of the importance of it and what we need to do. And I think specifically in supply chain, why there are fewer women and that we have to really look Other areas, it has to start early in education that they may not go into those roles, which is why programs like STEM are so important to get women into the fields that tend to lead to supply chain. But also, what we're trying to do is to go to look for characteristics that would lend to the characteristics that you need in supply chain. It's very analytical, it's problem solving, it's being collaborative, all those creative, get it done attitude, all those things lead to being good supply chain professionals. So we look for those to get them in. But what I think is important is once we get them in, it's proper mentoring, sponsoring, coaching. And what we found, it was particularly during COVID, is we lost a lot of women in upper and senior levels of management. And it was because of the responsibility and the burden that fell more heavily on women than men and more heavily on women of color, right? that we were losing people. So we need to be sensitive of the fact of what do we need to do at these levels regarding flexible work hours, rights, sponsorship, to make sure once we get them, we're we're mentoring to keep these talented women in role. And that's the thing SAP is working on, and also bringing back people. Or women are opting out not to progress in their career because they have all they can handle right now. So we have to we have to work with women to make sure we're taking some responsibility off and working in the way they need us to work with programs, flexibility so that they can continue on their on their career. It's a tough problem but we're trying to do the best we can at SAP and I know other companies are as well.
0: And I love the big bold moves like to your point hiring more than 50%, you know, acknowledging the gap, addressing, gathering data around it, and then taking meaningful and big action. Jenny, same question to you. What 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 do you see in terms of why we don't have more women, especially in leadership and in the, uh, the profession in general?
2: Yeah, I think I must have copied and pasted my answer from Darcy at some point because I have all of those same words um, for me as well when I was reflecting on this question. We have a pipeline problem is exactly what it is. So I highly recommend if anyone hasn't read the McKinsey Lean In Women in the Workplace study that comes out every year, and is done with hundreds of companies and thousands of women, definitely give that a full read. It is helpful as a leader. It is helpful as an HR professional. It's helpful to build some of that empathy if you're not understanding where these problems are coming from. So just looking at the transportation, logistics, and infrastructure industry, women are hired at 40% entry level. But when you look through that pipeline going to management, VP, and C-suite, it gets down to only 16%. And it's a lot of those reasons that Darcy was talking about. Um, Another one I'd add, it's a self-fulfilling problem, right, is representation. So if I don't see a leader at the top that I can see myself aspiring to be like, it's harder for me to see myself working into that role. Um, I think flexibility, like you said, Darcy is huge because if we're asking our teams to flex outside of eight to five in terms of when they work, we should also be okay that they're gonna flex within that eight to five for things with their personal life. And that's that balance that people really need. And like you said, it's that flexibility at home too, making sure that people have those options and that flexibility with some of their home responsibilities as well. I think the last piece is really um, women not giving themselves enough grace. You know, I think there's a lot of burden to feel perfect, feel like you need to be perfect, feel like you have to have everything put together and no one's perfect and it's okay. And so giving ourselves that grace when we're in those moments and feeling burnt out and feel like we have all these burdens to really say, am I putting these burdens on myself and how do I let go of some of those things to really focus on what's most important, whether it's my professional life or my
0: personal life. Of that, a lot, a lot of good answers and y'all's responses there. Let's move over then to uh, some best practices that we've seen out there. You know, the tried and true, the stuff that's really driving meaningful action for organizations that have really made big strides when it comes to having more diversity in their supply chain organizations. So, what have you seen uh, leaders out there doing, Darcy, specifically?
1: Yeah, well, this is an area that SAP has really focused on. And, and it all starts with educating your your employee base about why diversity is important. Some folks don't, don't understand it, but I think Jenny said it earlier, diverse teams perform better. That's, that's a fact. Diverse opinions are good, but you really need to have people understand that. Right. And the other thing is, is sometimes you don't even know you have a bias. So it's, it's educating people on unconscious bias that you don't even realize you have that you have for a person. And then we've talked about it It starts with recruiting and really getting your recruiters to look in other areas that they haven't traditionally done. But at the end of the day, when it comes down to the actual hiring manager, make sure they really look for these other alternative folks. So that's what I have seen in best practices. And then finally, once they're in, really making sure that the right sponsorship training check-ins are done in the organization and and if you do that you bring them in right you sponsor them through the organization you make sure they have the right checkpoints at the top that's how you see you get you get a diverse organization
0: i like it. i like it, darcy uh starting with why such a powerful simple concept but also you mentioned that unconscious bias i made the mistake of of getting into a discussion around that notion especially when it hit me like a, a ton of bricks and I, uh, bricks and i realized what I had in my blind spot, as we all do as humans. You do. Uh, I, social- I
1: didn't realize I had blind spots. Mm-hmm. I had no idea that I don't walk in somebody else's shoes. I had no idea. <laughs> it was eye-opening to me when we brought speakers in that, oh, my goodness, This I'm looking in the mirror, and I have blind spots, too. So everybody does. You just don't realize it, right? You just don't I'm
0: realize I'm So listeners, if this is the first time you've heard of uh, unconscious bias, really, Google it uh uh read up on it because we all do in my opinion as humans and it, it plays uh it, it uh, manifests itself in how we lead and how we work with others and how we hire as darcy mentioned and you name it okay so jenny same question you know what are some of the good things you're seeing folks really move the needle when it comes to uh making sure we have healthy and growing and increasing diversity in our supply chains
2: Yeah, just to stay on unconscious bias. I mean, that's such a critical piece of it. And if anyone tells you they don't have unconscious bias, that's already a sign they do, right? Of course, they don't know they have it. Like Darcy said, it's unconscious. But you have to be aware of those and be checking those um, and be open with um, uh, peers of yours and leaders of yours to have those conversations because we all need help checking them. We're not aware of them. Um, I think sponsorship, like Darcy brought up, was another great point. I think a lot of companies do a great job with mentoring, which is, hey, there's someone, a level up, and you meet with them for coffee or a quick Zoom chat, and that checks the box. But that's very different than sponsorship. Sponsorship is really, who am I pulling up with me? Who am I going to vouch for? And also, am I giving them that tough love feedback that they need to really achieve their full potential? That's very different than just a good job mentoring relationship. It's really about how are you vouching for people? I, I think, again, representation is a huge piece of it as well. Um, I saw a recent interview with um, Michelle Gossett, uh CEO of Kohl's, one of our member companies, and just all the work that she's done to really pull people up that ladder with her. Um, and she's very focused on that gender equality within a lot of what she does within her organization. So those are a couple of things that, that I've seen successful companies do.
1: Let me add to what Jenny just said here because yeah. it's very relevant about pulling women up. What the studies show is that women will not go for a job unless they meet almost 85-90% of the criteria of the job, of the next job. Men, 10%. I'm ready for this. And so knowing that, and what's interesting is when I we discuss this internally, most men don't realize women do not go to the job till they're almost fully capable of doing that next job. But the whole point is you should stretch yourself and you should feel comfortable stretch. But sometimes we have to nudge women a little bit to go for that job. You can do it. You are ready. If you're hundred percent ready, why that would not be the next job. So that's another thing to be aware of. We have to sometimes really, you know, push, give women a push a little bit to say, no, you've got this. You've really got this. Right. And it's something that, you know, you don't necessarily have to do it for, for a man.
0: Mm-hmm. Great point. I've seen that before. That's why I try to to try out for offensive tackle at the collegiate level. Uh, I, was, I was not cut out for that, Scott. Hey, but um, I want to switch gears for a second as we as we kind of get be prepared to move to the next topic. And I want you, well, both of y'all, if you would, and Jenny, I'll come back to you, focus on the men that are listening to this audience. What one piece of advice would you have for them and, and what they can do to help create a more inclusive workplace?
2: Oh, one piece. That's a tough one. The one I'd say is really giving candid feedback to your female employees. Um, And I've seen that personally. I I think there's a desire to maybe try to be nice to your female employees and you don't want to upset anyone. Um, But it's, it's what Kim Scott calls radical candor. And it's that combination of when you challenge directly and you care personally. And so if you really care about someone, you care about their career, and you care about their development, if you're presenting a message to help them grow, they'll receive it in that way. Um, But don't hold back that critical feedback that will help someone grow and evolve and stretch because you're trying to protect them. You're actually limiting their full potential. So that would maybe be one piece that I'd give.
0: Love it. Jenny, Darcy, same question for you. What's one piece of advice you'd offer up men that really want to help create a more- All
2: right, Jenny, that was that was
1: great. And I had a conversation with a, with a male colleague that was not gonna, I, I said, I'm gonna tell her. She she didn't show up for the interview professionally dressed. She she was not ready. She it was an interview for a senior level push and she looked like she just rolled out of bed. And the senior executive said, well, I'm not gonna tell her that. You could, I said, would you tell a guy, hey, you need a haircut, you're gonna get an interview. You would, but you didn't tell her <laughs> she didn't look right for the job she didn't look like she cared for the interview. And yes, you need to tell somebody that. But the one piece of advice I would give is sponsor a woman. Really sponsor, which means you're putting your name, your career on the line for somebody that you think is ready for the next step. In order to get comfortable with that, that means you have to work with that person, right? So that you can say, I'm putting my reputation on the line for this person, but you really need sponsor a woman from an organization especially if it's a one of any size and scale and that would be my number one advice is to just sponsor a woman or women through the process.
0: I love that and the gauntlet's been thrown down so folks uh, listen to the advice, take action and help us move the needle and uh, beyond that, you know diversity and inclusion you know we've heard a lot of feedback around there's so much attention on diversity. That even if you move the needle, you still have to make sure that the environment is inclusive for all parties, everyone, and that that can be a, a separate, a whole separate set of activities. So I really appreciate Jenny and Darcy what y'all have uh, shared here when it comes to making progress, uh, creating opportunities for all.
2: Yeah, actually, Scott, if I can offer up two resources, too, for men, Um, one is the Catalyst organization that's great um, with advocating for women in the workplace, and they have a program called MARC, Men Advocating Real Change, so you can get a weekly newsletter, so if it's something that you just want to have in the back of your head or just have those reminders Um, Mark M-A-R-C, is a great organization. Um, Another one through the Lean In Company, really big fan of Lean In Circles. They have a kind of male advocate program called Lean In Together. And they even have sponsorship with the NBA that's talking about how do men help support women in all different industries and walks of life. So definitely recommend checking out those
0: two resources. Wonderful. Love that, Jenny. I appreciate you sharing. Listeners, take note of that. Let's shift over. You know, this is, it goes without saying, right? These last couple of years have been, um, we've seen many of the uh, traditional challenges and we've seen a whole slew of new, unique, never never seen it before challenges. And it's really created quite a tumultuous time beyond the pandemic, especially in global supply chains. So it's also impacted the future of supply chains, not just the current state. So, Darcy, I want to come back to you here. How has, Covid impacted the work uh, and these changes and these and the impacts of the pandemic. how have that how has that impacted the work of a supply chain professional each and every day?
1: yeah, what it really first of all, everyone is overworked and understaffed with what has to be done. so every constraint a quote a senior head of logistics at the curing Dr. Pepper organization said in his is 30 years in the in the business he's never had to pay more for his materials can't get his stuff out of the ports right has nobody to drive a forklift every constraint and yet they they still have to somehow get through their day and they do it so so it's really put a burden on supply chain professionals and it's really shifted in how they they need to look at stuff the demand is a little bit difficult to predict and the shortages are very problematic and the employee shortages are problematic. So, you know, and depending on the level of technology that you have to solve these problems, to run scenarios, to get how how connected you are, depends on how hard your job is. Because if you're not connected, it's very hard to get insights to do what you need to do to service your customers. So it, it's impacted everybody, whether you're designing products, manufacturing them, you're in logistics or customer service across the entire supply chain, it's been effective. But that said, I will say that we've had incredible supply chain stories. If you look at what Moderna, Pfizer, J&J has done in, in developing, manufacturing and delivering vaccine to a global ward, it has been amazing What what we've been able to do with technology and those phenomenal companies to do what they've done. That's all supply chain. That's all supply chain and collaboration and being connected that have done that. So it's, it's, I could go on and on, but I won't because I know Jenny has something to say on this topic, (laughs) but it's across the board. It's been affected in good ways. So in good ways and stretching us in ways we didn't think were possible and using technology like we hadn't used it before. Very exciting.
0: I'm with you, and and that that is some of the good news. And you know, there's there silver linings in every cloud. And this has been a tough one, right? For every, for so many people, there's so many people hurting with loss and and other challenges across the globe. But we've learned so much. We've innovated in a truly um, practical manner, and have found new ways of meeting the consumer where they are, right? Uh, and those are lots of good stories there. So Darcy, thank you for sharing. Jenny, how what would you uh, what would be your take here?
2: yeah, when I um think about a lot of our member conversations that we've been having at the UWE Business Consortium, that's what a lot of it has been. You know one person even joked, man, it seems like in twenty twenty we you know we had the demand spikes and the shortages and this perfect storm. We've had everything but locusts. And then I had remind reminder, we actually did have locusts, right? Because we had the 17-year cicadas on top of everything else going on in supply chain. So yeah, it's it's been crazy. And so again, literally to your point, Darcy, it's been a burnout time for everyone. So we literally took one of our meetings and instead of talking about business best practices, we talked about burnout and we brought in leadership experts and we had very candid, small conversations and had different supply chain le- leaders speak to what were they learning? You know, how are they empathizing with their team, and how are they helping everyone get through this period? Um, so that's really been a key piece of it. Um, like I said before, we're moving from that just in time to just in case, and so you're also doing this paradigm shift while you're trying to work through the day to day to say, what is my new normal going to be, and what do I need to do differently? And so lots of different ways about it but really you know again in our conversations that's the main thing that um people are taking away is that we're all we're all in this together we're all having these same challenges and we're all learning from each other so it's yeah it's a it's an exciting time to to be in supply chain and i, I think people are hoping that, that light at the end of the tunnel is coming sooner and, and faster.
0: Right. And it's not a train, uh, right? As the old analogy train. <laughs> goes. Uh, one, one other thing, and, and, and I want to circle back uh, as you were defining things earlier, Darcy, but really quick, it also has accelerated everything, right? I think I was at an SAP event um, earlier this year where one of the Walmart executives talked about how they took six months, I think was uh, the the uh, expression, six months of digital transformation, and did it in six weeks, and I think there's a lot of organizations that can raise their hand and probably feel the same, feel the same challenge and uh, uh, and sense of accomplishment. But Darcy, what is meant by when we talk about a resilient supply chain? What does that mean, and how does that impact this whole discussion about what practitioners and organizations are going through right now?
1: Yeah, well, we start with the definition of resilient. It's it's having some sort of disruption. Right. And then being able to bring it back to the state it was before the disruption or to an even better state. So that's what resilience is all about. And to be a resilient supply chain, I view you really need four key components. The first one is agility. And agility is all about being able to react. Well, actually, anticipate, react, respond in a quick manner across your whole organization which means you've got to get out of the silos of your organization and react holistically as a company. Then it's all about being productive. And productivity starts with really industry 4.0 in the, in, the, in the factory, but really needs to take it through your entire organization. So you put all that intelligence through manufacturing, through logistics out to your customers. And then it's about digitalization, which means you need the third thing is being connected. And we operate in a connected world. And for those that are connected to everybody in your ecosystem, which is all your customers, your suppliers, your logistics service providers, all your manufacturer, contract manufacturers, right? All your things being connected. And then the final one is sustainability. And everything has to be sustainable, whether your you're raw materials, your contracting from sustainable, how you manufacture your products in a sustainable way, how they act in the in the field, right? Are they sustainable? Are they in sustainable products? Are you shipping in a sustainable way? Those are kind of the four factors I think in having a resilient supply chain.
0: I love, uh, I love frameworks, Darcy, so thank you for giving my framework today. <laughs> I love that. Good things coming forward for sure. Jenny, what would you add to that, whether it's uh, the definition of, of, of resilient supply chains or how it's impacting the path forward?
2: Yeah, a couple things. Yeah, it's really about weathering the storm, right? And so I think the statistic I've heard now is that there'll be some type of disruption in your business every 3.7 years. So let's hope we don't have another pandemic in 3.7 years, but will it be some other type of recession? Will it be some other type of natural disaster? And how are you ready for that next thing that's unanticipated? and be ready for that. And I think Darcy laid out some great points there. We also talked earlier about um, resiliency also implies more personally and professionally to your development. And how are you resilient in your career? So like we talked about, it's a great time to be in supply chain. Both Darcy and I didn't think we'd start out in supply chain. And yet through different um, experiences, hurdles, opportunities, we've been resilient in what that career path looked like for us. And we've we've changed as we've gone. And then the third thing that Darcy reminded me of was um, resiliency and Academia. And so as we're learning these things in industry, how does that come back to what we're teaching in academia? And that becomes a core part of what I like to do as we're working with these um, industry partners. And then I get to share back across campus some of what we're hearing. I'm just speaking here at the University of Wisconsin. um, Just a few months ago, we launched a computer data and information sciences area. So really bringing together other disciplines and evolving that to help build that resiliency in the next uh, generation of folks coming through our programs.
0: I love that. Just making the future e- even brighter and stronger and smarter. And um, and, you know, great ideas are not going to just come from folks in the trenches. Now, the practitioners out there, but it's the folks that are coming up and matriculating through our systems, like uh, like our great schools, like the University of Wisconsin. So I love that. I love the sharing notion there. Right. OK, Marcy, before our. Darcy, my apologies. I had a best friend in high school named Marcy, and I've gotten that wrong three times now. But Darcy, uh, anything else to add around resilience or anti fragile or you name it, before we move into one of our favorite questions, major misconceptions. Your last word there, Darcy.
1: No, I think I think between Jenny and I, we've kind of covered the the resilience, see, which is so important because you know disruptions are going to continue. We have to assume that, and so we have to have a way of being able to to react to those. So no, I'm all set.
0: All set. Wonderful
1: misconceptions. Is that my is that what you want to ask about misconceptions?
0: Yeah, let me tee this a little bit up a little bit because you know we we as we were going through some of our planning sessions, I think this was our favorite question that garnered perhaps the most discussion. And Darcy and Jenny, I tell you, if we had been recording an earlier conversation. (laughs) We have a blockbuster for Hollywood based on what y'all both shared earlier. So, Darcy, question here for you. What are some of the major misconceptions around supply chain dynamics that exist in the market?
1: Well, it's so funny because you never used to hear about it and people never used to understand what I did and now everybody's saying it. So, true story. (laughs) This week, I was listening to a Boston channel and it actually said, you know, coming up next, we're going to try to tell you how to solve the supply chain issues for the holidays. And I'm like, I've got to listen to this. I need to know how to solve this. And it came back and I waited, you know, after the commercials and it said, shop in stores. It's like, okay, because you can't order things online, you may have problems the whole, so it's like, well, I don't think that's quite gonna help us. But a couple of misconceptions that that have, first of all, people think COVID caused supply chain issues. It did not. We were having, you know, the supply chain was too tight before COVID. Uh, inventories were too tight people were single sourcing. It was it was all about cost optimization. Anytime we had a disruption, you could name it, whether it was Brexit, whether it was freezing temperatures in, in Texas. We had one recently with, with the Suez Canal. It was too tight. What COVID did was highlight it globally that it did exist, but it didn't cause the supply chain issues. It just highlighted what we already had. The other thing was, I think, was people didn't realize is the misconception is that how connected we are. When we had the, the ship stuck in the Suez Canal, people didn't realize, well, why would that affect me? Well, it does, big time, because so much, you know, anything going into Europe has to go through the Suez Canal. So people didn't understand that, why everything that happens in the world, we're globally connected. So it will ultimately affect you, whether there's rain you know, problems in South America, whether there's, you know, fires in Germany, we're so connected globally that yes, these all affect us, right? And the other thing is, is that it's a short-term fix. It, it is not, there are absolutely things we can do short-term, but really readying the supply chain to be resilient is a long-term fix. You must start now and you must do what you can do now, but the transformation is, is going to take a little bit longer, but it really does need to happen. And I could go on because I know Jenny also has some, too. She probably wants to add to my list of misconceptions. Absolutely.
0: Well. we You know, and, and to piggyback on just one thing you shared, it is it takes a, a massive symphony, you know, to your point about it being so interconnected, right? There's so many different players that, that make global supply chain happen. You can't just pinpoint this and then it's going to be utopia. And that, I, I believe, I believe more and more consumers and new practitioners are learning that uh, sometimes a hard way. But uh, we've got some big opportunities there. All right. So, Jenny, same question. One of our favorite questions. There's major misconceptions out there around supply chain dynamics out in the market. What would be your take?
2: Yeah, I really liked what you said, Scott, about the symphony. Um, I actually play oboe in my fun part of my life. And so I understand and appreciate that musicality part of it. And I do think that's still a misconception that I, as a practitioner in supply chain, can solve the problem in my silo. And to your point, it has to be with your suppliers, with your third-party logistics providers, with your upstream um, sales and operations planning teams. Um, So I think understanding and really appreciating how broad um, you have to look and collaborate to solve the problem is still maybe a misconception. The other one I'd say is that I think people assume it's a supply problem, and that's certainly part of it. But it's also a demand problem, right? So all of the demand for traveling and for services and restaurants, all of that went into stuff. And so people are buying a lot more stuff. And at the end of the day, supply chain is about balancing supply and demand. And so when I have these supply problems, some of which due to COVID, some of which Darcy's point not due to COVID, And I've increased my demand. Wow, that's just a recipe for exactly what we're experiencing now. So, thinking about that, it's not just that supply problem, but really understanding what your demand is and how your demand's been shifting and getting those back in alignment.
0: Well said. And we need more oboe players clearly in global supply (laughs) chain. So, thank you for sharing that, Jenny. But, you know, Darcy, you, 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 going back to your response, you you also talked about, you know, some for some of these systemic issues that we're seeing. uh, uh, you know, causing so many headaches, um, you know, our ports, for example, right? It's been said that our our ports here in the States are six to 10 years behind how ports operate elsewhere around the globe. And th- those types of things aren't going to be fixed by sending, sending in a SWAT team of consultants and a week later, okay, ta-da. And so that's some of the heavy lifting related to some of these uh, big headaches that have been percolating to your point, as you and Jenny are both are, are implying and, and sharing, long before the pandemic. So uh, I appreciate both of your perspectives around these major misconceptions.
1: Right. Scott, just for that point, I think what North America didn't realize is we were so viewing ourselves. We did not realize in a lot of areas, other global regions surpassed us in their abilities. Ports was one of them. Manufacturing automation is another one. Right, we didn't. We don't realize what they're doing in, you know, in Europe and in Asia regarding plant and factory automation. So I think one of the things is kind of highlighted in certain areas. We're ahead of everybody. There's no question. In other areas, we could learn from other geographic regions in order to to be better and be more advanced from the use of technology. Clearly,
0: clearly. completely agree. And then, you know, Gina, I'd welcome your thoughts here. But I'll I'll tell. You, I'll just add. You know, one of the busiest, most successful airports in the world is, is here in Atlanta, right? And we've interviewed them a couple of times, especially their their freight leaders. And they brought in folks from other parts of the globe to help them better automate and create freight and cargo systems. Uh, so uh, to perfectly illustrate your point, Darcy, we can learn from, you know, that's, that's the beautiful thing about global supply chain. There's a ton of sharing of uh, breakthrough moments, innovations, kind of, Jenny, what you were talking about early, that sounds like it's a, a key M.O., when it comes to the consortium, right?
2: Yep, that's exactly it. Yeah, a lot of the fun that I have with the consortium is watching leaders from other industries learn from each other. Um, So maybe I sell apparel, and maybe I sell hard consumer goods, and maybe I'm even in insurance, but I have an indirect supply chain that I'm monitoring and I can still be learning from all these other partners. And in some ways that's easier, right? Cause now we're not talking about collusion or things that are too close to the vest, but by hearing about how someone else is approaching it in another industry, it's giving me ideas for how I want to approach it for mine. So that's certainly a piece that I really uh, liked with that our members share with each other here at the consortium.
0: One of my favorite parts, you get, you get practitioners together, you know, breaking bread around the table and talk shop and you never know that uh, market intel or or, uh, practice exchange that's so critical that would take place. Okay. I hate to leave this major misconceptions because there's so much there. And I I really uh, have enjoyed both of your responses there. But as we start to close today's session, I'd love to, as we circle back around, you know, opportunities for all uh, in particular, you know, women, which has been part of this conversation here and Darcy coming back to you. If you had one piece of advice that you'd uh, want to leave with women that are listening to this conversation right here, those that really want to strive up to the upper rungs of of, um, of organizational leadership by both of you, what would be that advice to them?
1: Yeah. So you always make us pick one, Scott, and one is really <laughs> hard hard to do because I have a whole <laughs> bunch of them, but right. And as first of all, it's get in the field, but, but if I had one right as a supply chain professional executive as you go up in your career i think the one advice i would get is try to simplify things for folks to understand what you're trying to do what the because imp- i think part of the problem is is the ability to concisely and simply explain the situation without having to take a lot if you can do that as a supply chain professional you are going to rise to the ranks cuz i know that's one thing that i have issues with is I was net it out simplify i don't know how to, that skill set is huge in this area to simply explain the issue, the resolution that you're trying to do will take you far. And there's a bunch of other ones I have, but that's my one.
0: Hey, well, Darcy, hey, it is as we established earlier and we're recording this session. So we're releasing a few weeks later, but it, today's a bonus day. So I'm going to go to Jenny next, but I'd love to have <laughs> another one if, you, if you've got some. This is good stuff. Jenny, same question.
2: Yep, I'm the same as Darcy. Uh, I actually like that you're having us prioritize, Scott. I think we need to do more prioritization in supply chain. So if I had to prioritize one, thinking specifically about um, women wanting to advance in their careers, or really anyone in this point um, right now in their careers, build a network. And so in some ways, that can be um, your personal board of directors and who is helping mentor you, sponsor you, can give you that candid feedback that you need. Uh, In other cases, it can be peers and just a safe space for you to share what's going on, share your fears, share that I don't feel good enough and have that group of people that can help build you up and remind you of those great strengths you have that you should be delivering to other parts of the organization. So especially with, with COVID and social distancing, I think this is a perfect time to, to redo and rebuild your network around what do you need both professionally and personally and making sure you get that in whatever form um, is most helpful for you.
0: Love that, Jenny. You know, as the one only Harvey McKay said, you got to dig your well before you're thirsty, right? And it's so true. It kind of speaks to what you're talking about there. Okay, Darcy and Jenny, this has been really good. I'm glad we captured this conversation here today so we can share it with our uh, global audience here at Supply Chain Now. But I want to give you the chance. We want to, how can folks best connect with you? And Darcy, starting with you, there's so much good stuff. Between you and, of course, the SAP enterprise, I love the you know the events that you all have invested in here over the last 18 months to really help folks connect as we've all established is so important. And you've made that, by and large, many of those free to attend. That's been some of the things uh, that we've lauded organizations here at Supply Chain Now, those companies that really, because that's a ton of work, big platforms, a lot of elbow grease invested in that. And I love how you've made it easier for folks to connect. But how can folks connect with you, Darcy?
1: Yeah, the best way is just use LinkedIn, Darcy McLaren um, SAP. That goes right to my SAP email. So feel free to reach out to me via via LinkedIn.
0: It's just that easy, Darcy. I love just it. just that easy. Simple, just like a piece of advice. You got to keep things simple in today's environment. Um, Jenny, same question. How can folks connect with you?
2: Yeah, I'll try to keep it just about as simple with LinkedIn, right? So just find me on LinkedIn, Jenny Patsloff. You'll see the bright uh, red Badger logo behind me on LinkedIn. Um, if you are uh, interested in learning more about being a member of the University of Wisconsin Business Consortium and what we do, our website is uwebc.wisc.edu.
0: Love it. Okay. Okay. Well, I hate to bring this conversation to a close. I've had a blast learning from both of your perspectives and your experiences and your journeys. We'll have to have you back really soon. Big thanks to Darcy McLaren, Senior Vice President, Digital Supply Chain North America for SAP.
1: Thank you. And thank you for having me on, Scott. And you Jenny, a pleasure to be on this with you.
0: Really enjoyed it, Darcy. And her good friend, Jenny Patzloff, Supply Chain Management Practice Director for the University of Wisconsin eBusiness Consortium. Jenny, thanks so much.
2: Thanks so much, Scott. Really appreciate it. Darcy, really appreciate the invite. Great to work with you again.
0: All right. Uh, well, folks, hopefully you've enjoyed this conversation as much as I have. Jam-packed, I think, with lots of practical insights, actionable insights, right? Uh, and of course, lots of great stories. Uh, I love I love great storytellers. We have two of them here today. If you like conversations like this, be sure to check us out, Supply Now, wherever you get your podcast from. Subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. On behalf of our entire team here at Supply Chain Now, Scott Luton signing off just for now, challenging you to do good, give forward, be the change that's needed. And on that note, we'll see you next time right back here at Supply Chain Now. Thanks everybody. Thanks for being a part of our Supply Chain Now community.